very happy to have the TV voice of the Utah Jazz. And he's, it's not just that. There'll be a lot of people that certainly know him as the TV voice of the Jazz, been doing it for a really long time. But he has a very long history in the state of Utah. And we want to focus on a part of that, obviously talking about Craig Bolajek. First and foremost, Craig, thank you so much for taking some time. Looks like you, uh, you're spending some of your time growing some facial hair. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is going to make it through the day, to be totally honest. It's a week. It's a week old, but it's – I don't know how to – I've never grown a beard or a goatee or a Fu Manchu, whatever. I'm not a big fan, but it's, it was kind of a dare in the household. So I thought, what else do I got to do, right? So I let the – I let the I put the razor in quarantine, to be honest. So here I am. Well, what are you doing? I mean, there's no games to call, practices to attend. I mean, the whole, the whole world essentially is – is kind of shut down and in quarantine. What, what are you doing to occupy your time these days? Well, honestly, uh, I've watched a lot of old movies. Uh, I, I've uh, watched uh, enough Andy Griffith and uh, the old black and whites, you know, that I love so much. Um, uh, and I'm actually spending time, you know, a wife and one of my sons actually has kind of locked himself in here with us. So it's, it's uh, great to have him around. And I'm just trying to be safe and smart. And I hope all, you know, jazz fans, BYU fans, you fans, Wildcats, Aggies, everybody's trying to do the same thing is just survive and just get through this. And, um, you know, we had such a, our group had such a ground zero, um, I guess, appreciation to all this. And after what happened in Oklahoma City, I, I really understand the severity of what's going on right now. Hey, Bola, we're going to, we're going to get to the Oklahoma City thing in a bit, I'm sure. Um, it was uh, 30 years ago this year that I got my first full-time broadcasting gig at KSL. Yes, I remember it. And um, you've been in Salt Lake City, you know, long enough um, where people only associate you with the state of Utah. And obviously KSL was a big part of it. And, yeah. and uh, we were there together at the same time for a lot of that time. But before the Beehive State, where were you? And what were you doing as a broadcaster before you were, were brought to Utah? You know, when I graduated college uh, from Kansas State in 1981, so there you can add up the math how long I've been here since 85. Uh, my first year in broadcasting was in Topeka, Kansas, a small uh, NBC affiliate, out in, seriously, in a large cornfield with a large television tower. But it was, a, it was just a great place for me to, uh, you know, earn your wings a bit, make mistakes. Um, I was there for exactly a year, had a chance to cover Kansas State, KU, went to Kansas City quite often to see the Royals and the Kansas City Chiefs. So it kind of gave me a college and professional atmosphere and some abilities to go in and talk to former players like Dan Quisenberry and George Brett. Those are names from the past with, uh, with the Royals. And I got to Kansas City to see the Chiefs just a couple of times. Um, way before their, their Super Bowl status of late. And then I got a call uh, to go to Wichita, Kansas. And I was there for three years doing weekends and then started doing nightly news at 6 and 10. And during that time, there was a professional soccer team in town, indoor soccer. Uh, and I started doing play-by-play -play there for the uh, Wichita Wings. <laughs> and lo and behold, one night I got a phone call from Don Judd. I think uh, Cougar fans will remember him. And, and Greg, you as well, uh, Don was covering uh, Dixie, I uh, believe, in the National Junior College Basketball Championships that were held outside in Hutchinson, Kansas. 
and they were looking to extend, expand their sports department. I got a call. I said, yeah, my contract is expiring. I'd love to try to expand and go outward. And I came out for an interview and a visit. Next thing I know, I'm working in Salt Lake City. And that was June of 1985. And my first story was the draft, the draft night. And guess who was drafted? Mailman, Carmelo. Not a, not a bad way to start the uh, the career in Salt Lake City with a Hall of Famer and a guy that, yeah. uh, that is synonymous with the Utah Jazz. Unbelievable. You know, and one of the things that I touched on this at the beginning, obviously for, for maybe a younger generation right now, they have known you as the TV voice of the Utah Jazz. But, you know, for, for a lot of people for a really long time, you were the TV voice of the BYU Cougars. And you had you, – you did that, I think, for, what, 10 years? Ten years. And, you had some unbelievable teams to cover. What do you remember about that time, both football and basketball, and, and covering BYU during that time? Well, Greg knows this as well. There's such great history with BYU. And I got uh, to Salt Lake City in 1985, just a year after they won the national championship in 84. So the buzz was incredibly uh, high at that time. And to set this up and how it happened, Jim Nance was at KSL, Greg, remember? Uh, and, and he was there for about four months while I was there. And we, we, we connected and, and, you know, we worked a lot together during those short time. And then he got a call to go to CBS and do the college football scoreboard show. And then lo and behold, I get a phone call. They come into the office of Spence Kennard and they're saying, look, young fella, we're going to give you an opportunity here to call BYU football. And so Jim and I actually shared the booth a couple of games before Jim had to go to New York uh, to take his new job and kind of break me in. And so that's when I started doing play-by-play. -play. And those are the days of Buck and Knight and Von, uh, J.C. Von Collin, um, great linebacker, uh, you know, Locke Hemuli, uh, Bosco was the quarterback. You had the Bellini uh, connection. I mean, it was just uh, names and names of great athletes and a passing game that was just out of sight. I mean, it was a, it was just a, a, a scoring frenzy everywhere we went, and it was just a fun time. KSL had the contract, and that doesn't happen anymore, and Greg knows this, because of contracts, right? I mean, in the country, they're <clears throat> BYU's with ESPN now, and I think we had nine of the 10 or 11 games because ESPN, who was still kind of in an infancy at that time, loved the San Diego State-BYU matchup because it was so high scoring. So that's the only game we didn't do. But we always went to Hawaii, which was always fun. And uh, those were great days. And basketball, the same. Kevin Nixon, the blonde-headed bomber, uh, you know, Gary Trost, Toulson, uh, you know, Rod, Robbie and, and Randy Reed. Uh, the names just kind of continue to go on and even into today of what BYU football and basketball is all about. Hey, Bowler, uh, you know, you mentioned KSL TV having a local TV contract, which, as you noted, doesn't happen anymore. Uh, but KSL had the radio contract for right. BYU, obviously. And, and, of course, the games are still on KSL to this day. But that meant that while you were doing the TV side of things, PJ, Paul James, right. was handling the radio side. And you were actually television colleagues at that time still. Right. Um, maybe you could, uh, you know, tell Cougar Nation a bit about what it was like uh, to work with and learn a bit from uh, the great Paul James. Uh, Paul, 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 great guy. I, I've got some great stories. And, Greg, about the time you came on, PJ was uh, 
helped me because he was beginning to retire. He left television and then focused solely on radio. During his er my early days with him in television, uh, I produced for him, and he was a guy that just didn't like the teleprompter. And so, as we know, you know, in TV, that's, you know, everything runs in front of you, what you write. So he wrote on little pieces of paper. Uh, Paul was a very simple guy. Uh, so he'd write on a napkin. He'd write on a scrap paper. He'd say, hey, give me that hamburger wrapper. And he'd write some storylines that he would do uh, for his broadcast. <laughs> I remember going in and trying to tell our producer and a director of the broadcast, you know, okay, hang with me here. I'm going to tell you when Paul needs that. You know, there was no roll cues. Uh, it's so sophisticated now, as we know. And But Paul was a pioneer. I still see Dick Norris. Paul Sadley's passed as long, along with Bob Welty. But those three, the longest-running broadcast team in the United States, and it will, those, those numbers will never be broken. And I hope people understand they were really uh, the foundation of what really is KSL and uh, and really Salt Lake, uh, you know, news. Uh, those those three were amazing. But Paul, a quick story for Greg, and I'm sure you remember this too, Greg, is that Paul had a way of never, you know, wanting to spend too much. So he would bring a sack lunch with him to, 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 to the office. And he also brought like a liter of Diet Coke or Sprite or whatever was on sale, Shasta. <laughs> I'm sorry, man, This these are just coming up. <laughs> but one night he goes, Hey, are you hungry? And I said, well, I'm maybe running over to crown burger. I mean, that was kind of our staple, right? right. There was a yeah. Subway right across the street. There was a subway sandwich shop too, <clears throat> just on the, uh, on the North side. And I said, no, nah, I think yeah. I'll run over and get a crown burger. But I said, what are you going to do? Because oh, I got a sandwich here. I brought last week. I said, <laughs> last week. I said, Paul, that bag's been sitting on your desk. Oh, I still good. It's still good. And so he pulls this just ratty old, you know, paper sack and pulls out a half eaten, turkey, ham, whatever it was, and then started gulping down lukewarm, you know, you know, Coca-Cola out of this big liter bottle. And I thought, you know, that is, that's the Paul James nobody really knows. But, you know, he was a dedicated, passionate guy about so many things. Bridge, a marvelous artist. In fact, in my hallway for when I was, when I'm, when I got married, uh, to Sharon back in 89, Paul gave us uh, a, a beautiful uh, print. No, it, it's it's the real deal. It's it's a it's an original Paul yeah, James yeah. oil painting. He was a master bridge player. He could play the piano. Uh, he could do so many things outside the world of sports. And I think I had so much appreciation for him. And we had lunch just before he passed away. He was sharp as a tack that day. And we had a lot of laughs about uh, those days and the fact, you know, he's always kidding me, you're on television and I'm on radio now, but we always got along and had a great time and shared a lot of fun memories and some great days at KSL. I wouldn't trade a minute, wouldn't trade a minute. Just one quick note, one quick follow-up on, on that and pretty much everything I learned about play-by-play, -play, I learned from PJ because I got to be a sideline guy for nine years. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so I got to uh, have him in my ears on the headset for, for nine full seasons. And, and, and so you learn through osmosis and you learn through observation. And as you mentioned, Paul and his handwriting, um, a typical night before a game on the road would find me in his hotel room watching him on a legal pad yes. script out the pregame. Right. And, and I learned from Paul – uh, the importance of a, of a pregame script, if you will. 
you know, so much of what we do in play-by-play is obviously non-script. Everything's non-scripted. Right. But what he could script, he'd like to script. Yeah. Uh, he'd like to write out and, and get his ideas on paper. And I, I took that same legal pad philosophy when, when I, I got to follow PJ in that same role. And of course, over time, you get to computers, you now do it on a laptop and whatnot. But it was all that same notion of Paul was really detail-oriented, despite the fact he could do things ad-libbed. He liked to, to, to organize and plan and write out and, and script things for his audience so they were getting uh, the best delivery possible. I thought it was a great tool. Yes, and yet, just to, to add to that too, Greg, what I was so surprised, his handwriting was exquisite. Mine looks like you know a chicken ran over the pad or, or whatever because I would just like do shorthand basically, but Paul always was just incredibly crafted with his, with his I said, Paul, how do you do that? And he goes, well, I've got to read it later, so let's just do it once, right, right the first time. I said, okay, right. I, you know, I totally understand. But, yeah, yeah he, was, uh, he was a groundbreaker, and he did it the old-fashioned way, but he did it also the right way. And it was uh, to perfection, and uh, he was a pro's pro, no doubt. Well, one of the guys that you got to spend a lot of time with, see a lot of his games, was Ty Detmer. Oh. And we, we all know how good Ty Detmer is, and – and the reason I wanted to ask you this, because this was kind of brought up earlier this week, Pro Football Focus had, had thrown out on social media, just your top five college football quarterbacks. Right. And I was surprised that Detmer wasn't mentioned in the top five, maybe as much as I thought he would be. You got to cover him. Do you have any stories about him? Oh. And, and where do you think he falls in in terms of some of the all-time best college football quarterbacks? Well, I think he's got to be there uh, in the top five to ten because he really changed a lot of things about college football uh, in the 80s. I mean, Lavelle's passing game, as Greg knows, was just unstoppable. And also there were so many – players, tight ends, Chad Lewis, uh, Mike Smith, uh, Bellini's, uh, Boyce, and he was one of the best possession receivers uh, I think BYU's ever had. Uh, the tight end drag, as, as Chad still likes to call it, just the chip block, and he goes underneath, and backers fall back, and Ty would just slingshot that ball, unstoppable, and would just rack up yards after yards because of the abilities of his tight ends and his is is uh, backs and his you know and, and his wide receivers it was so fun to call because there was never a dull moment there was always something happening on the offensive side uh ty was um incredibly talented smart undersized but tough as nails a couple of times we were uh, we covered the bowl games obviously and greg you may help me with this i think it was um holiday bowl uh there was a ton of holiday bowls there and i i don't know if it was texas he got his shoulder separated. Do you remember this? Texas A&M. Um, A&M. Yeah. Not once, but twice. And his mom was on the sideline that night and said, oh, Ty, don't go back in. Denver plays that game with two badly injured shoulders and still does a miraculous job at his position. I think I always talk about Stockton, pound for pound. Denver's in that same category, pound for pound, one of the toughest, if not the toughest, quarterback to play the college game. Flutie was tough, yes. Detmer still was on another level. And I just love being around that guy. He was always had a smile on his face. And he was in that huddle, I know, uh, was just a leader that everyone who played with him respected and admired, for sure. Uh, the other story would be <clears throat> the great late Doug Miller took us both fishing uh, for catfish at Utah Lake. That was quite a day. Uh, hearing all those stories, 
and that that little Texas draw yeah. of Ty Detmer. Uh, I love talking to him because he's just for, he was real. He was just a real guy playing the sport he loved so much. And the other night, uh, I, or the day I remember so well, was when he won the Heisman. We were in Hawaii, and Glenn Tuckett, the athletic director at the time, was standing with us off to the side while the team was all on television. And I believe Glenn was wired in to an IFB, and Ty had one as well. We're watching from Hawaii, obviously on a six or second delay, and we're all standing to the side to wait. And his arm goes up like this, and we go, I think he, I think he won it. And, th- and then, boom, the cheers happen. But Ty knew at that about six or seven seconds, along with Glenn Tuckett, that he had won. And that was a really nice moment. Even though BYU struggled that night in Hawaii, uh, that was kind of the rainbows. Uh, that was always their bowl game, right? I mean, Greg, it, I don't know if it's changed. I don't think it has. They've always loved to play BYU because of the connection with the uh, with the players and the Polynesian players over there. But uh, that night was not a good night for Ty and the Cougars. But it was a great day, great night, great afternoon for Ty Deborah and the Heisman Trophy win. What do you make? And I know that you can't follow it as closely as obviously you do with the Jazz because you're you're totally consumed with the NBA for obvious reasons. Coach Kalani Satake, uh, heading into year five uh, as the head coach at BYU. What, what's your overall impressions of the BYU program today? I love Kalani. I see him a lot at, uh, at uh, BYU. Uh, he brings some players over uh, to, to games or uh, at a restaurant. I saw them one time. They were having a meeting, and, and it was just fun, just fun. Kalani's a great guy. He's at a Utah game, a Utah jazz game. I was hanging out with, uh, with uh, Witt just – Gosh, just weeks ago. And I talk to Kalani sometimes by via text. I don't get a chance to come to Provo much at all because of travel and, and what have you. But I find him as a coach, a player, I'd like to play for him. Uh, I think that he's been under a, a lot of, uh, let's see how I can say this. It's a difficult situation. And Greg, I want you to jump in because I think I felt the same way when Lavelle was coaching. And this, the way that the BYU recruits and the honor code that has to come into play here is part of this discussion. And I think Kalani's done a marvelous job getting the best athletes possible to be put in positions to win. Being outside of what was the old whack in the Mountain West, it really intrigues me. Independence is very, uh, I think, difficult for, for me. I'm just uh, from my chair to be uh, nationally recognized like BYU could or should be, and they used to be a lot because of the scheduling and the, the system that goes through August and September. And then the teams that you play in November that are a little lesser opponent and they're outside of any, you know, they're not playing for much themselves, the teams I'm speaking of. And so I think once you lose a game or two in those early months, it's difficult to recover. I think it's an incredible conversation of where BYU is, where they want to go, and where they are right now. And Greg, you're obviously right in the middle of it. You have a better idea than I do, obviously. But I love what Kalani is, and I think what the the challenges he has, and where he's been, and where he's trying to go. You know, I I think he's the man for the job, and I don't know if anybody else would want to step in at the moment and do any better. I mean, I, I respect him a, a great deal. 
Although that will always be the challenge is to get out of September with some juice because of how front loaded the schedules will always right. be. But it's not impossible. And I guess I guess the best example of it might be just last year, even though it was only a seven and six season, you show or you see the, the importance of consistency. You also right. see the importance of health. I mean, the, the way the quarterback and the running backs were injured was difficult to deal with. But if you've got a program that can go on the road and beat Tennessee, beat USC, go on the road and beat Utah State and beat Boise State all in the same season, which is what BYU did last year. You show the potential. You see the potential. But it was a matter of consistency because for every good loss, there was kind of – for every good win, there was kind of a puzzling loss. Yes. And, and, and that was kind of the, the rhythm of the season. And the health didn't help much with, with the quarterbacks and running backs being injured as they was. But you see what's possible because you can be good enough to win that many good games in a season featuring a ton of good games – it just wasn't something they could kind of uh, maintain over the course of, of a 13-game schedule. I, I want to let Shep ask you a bit more about the, um, the Oklahoma City situation and, and, and take it back to the NBA. But I, I, I read something from you the other day, as we're all kind of in this holding pattern right now, Bowler. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you, you wrote or you were interviewed, um, I think it was in the Trib, and, and you were asked about what you're doing right now. And you talked about, and because I, I do the same thing, um, kind of refining your craft. You talked about finding the ability to be more descriptive in your play-by-play. -play. Um, and I was wondering if you had exemplars or people you look to as, as, as maybe um, the ideal or ideal broadcasters in terms of how they use their descriptive abilities and, and how important is that to you that as a play-by-play -play broadcaster, your ability to describe uh, gets better and more varied over the years? You know, I think Locke also mentioned that as well. Uh, I listen to some tapes, and I try to be very critical. I always have, Greg, of what I do, and I always want to stay fresh. I think that's the most important thing all of us can do is our responsibility is to the fan and to the game that we call. Um, and obviously, the way the game is played will bring added excitement, but also on nights, and you've been there and I have as well, uh, when things don't go right, uh, that's re really when you're tested uh, to not only your preparation, how well you know the game, but also your love of the sport and how well you're involved with that particular team. And so those are always challenges. You know, I listen to a lot of broadcasters. Uh, I listen uh, to, to uh, Mr. Greg Rubel during, uh, you know, game days on KSL. Uh, I listen to um, another gentleman over on ESPN 700, uh, Bill Riley. Uh, I listen to a lot of a lot of different broadcasters and I try to pick up and I tell young announcers as well, you know, you have your style, but it's also good to always, always go back and refine it. And you can be a little bit of Jim Nance. You can a little, be a little bit of Greg Rubel. You can be a little bit of Al Michaels, but, you know, still be who you are in reality, but appreciate their skill sets as well and try to blend some of those things you hear. And if it catches my attention, and I think that's a good point or a good call or a good description, I'll try to bring it into my, my realm, into, yep. into what I'm doing. And I'll write notes to myself during broadcasts. You know, I was going to reach for a pen. But, I mean, it's, like, it's Paul James all over again, Greg. You know, I'll scratch it. You know, I'll hear something like, that's a good description of how that works. Because sometimes, during the course of basketball especially, you know, it's up and down, up and down, up and down. And you can almost in your mind sometimes – 
get too focused on one particular call and, or one particular description of a dribble uh, or of a basket or a dunk. And so I, you, you try to make sure you, you bring different uh, verbiage, action verbs into what actually is going on because I tire of myself sometimes going, come on, man, challenge yourself. What is, let's go a different direction. That's a millisecond in my mind. And Greg, you understand that. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's the biggest challenge. I've been at this a long time. And I'm never satisfied. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's the thing. Once you are, then get out of the game. Because I'm always trying to challenge myself to the next level. And uh, that's part of the challenge and the fun about what we do. Yeah, I, I've, I've, never, I've never called a perfect game and, and may never call a perfect right. game. That's just the nature of the challenge. By the way, one, one guy I love, and I think it's a guy you probably know because of your KC connections as well, and one of the best at being descriptive is Kevin Harlan. Oh, absolutely. Kevin and I talk uh, quite a bit, especially when he comes into town uh, to do TNT games. He and I worked at ESPN together. And just a quick story, we did uh, arena football uh, back early in our careers. And uh, that was an interesting challenge. It was such an, I think we did uh, arena bowl eight and nine. Uh, with Doc Walker, who used to be a uh, lineman for the Washington Redskins, and he was such a, a fun guy. I think he's got a radio show still uh, back in Washington with the, with the Redskins. But you never know who you're going to come across to in this business. And Kevin is a pro's pro. Um, uh, I was with him at CBS for a while, and uh, he, he gets the job done, and he takes that, that excitement to the next level. You'll hear a lot of his calls throughout the year on both the NFL and, and the NBA for sure. Yeah. Let's, let's uh, kind of wrap things up talking about the NBA and the Jazz. And, and it is interesting when you think about it that the Jazz were, and we've touched on this a couple of times, everything that happened in OKC and with Rudy Gobert testing positive for the coronavirus, the Jazz were front and center as one of those teams and organizations that kind of kicked off all of this, everybody kind of quarantining and shutting everything down. And, and it, you can look back at, at kind of that one crazy night in Oklahoma City I know you've been asked to talk about that night, but we keep hearing the word surreal. I've got to imagine that's one of the words you could use to describe it. Yeah, let's use another word since we just talked about it. How about Twilight Zone? <laughs> I mean, that's, it really was an episode from, from that, that series in, all, in a lot of ways. You know, it's a long story, but I'll try to make it short. But, you know, we knew that Rudy wasn't feeling well when we got to OKC on three weeks ago, by the way, today, this afternoon. Um, and... So as the night went on, we had dinner, game, went to practice. Rudy wasn't there. We just figured, again, he's not feeling well. But, you know, in the back of your mind, you know, you know things aren't right around the country and there's some concerns. But we went on with life and we prepared. We went through pregame and we were just getting ready to tip the ball up. And I knew Gobert was out. Uh, and then a gentleman from my left came onto the floor and uh, brought the officials to him. They had about a minute conversation, and we were told by PA the game has been uh, been put on hold until the NBA gives permission for this game to 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 be you know to, to to continue. So we're live, and Greg, as you know, in live situations, if a player's injured, if you've got a clock malfunction or something of that nature, you're really tested in this business, right? To fill and uh, kind of tap dance, as we like to say. And so for the next eight to 10 minutes, Thurl Bailey and I, who's on the call that night with me, we were just trying to be descriptive. I kept thinking maybe the floor's got an issue. I look up at the clocks, uh, the 24 second clock and the, you know, the, all the clocks look good to me. And, 
And then in the back of my mind, I'm going, oh, I wonder if this is something to do uh, beyond us. You know, this is bigger than us. And we took a commercial break. And Joe and a couple of the players were just kind of huddling around the table. And we had a, a few chats, a few laughs. And <clears throat> we came back and another announcement was made that this game uh, was still on hold by the NBA. And that's when the coaches, Billy Donovan and Quinn Snyder, came together. And that's when I, in my mind, knew that we weren't going to play and that something was up uh, with a player or the league had decided because of the coronavirus issue, we're going to suspend play right here and now. Um, so we got off the air, uh, and I'll be honest, before that happened, I was a little concerned that maybe the fans would be upset and, but they were very calm and I have to give credit to the Oklahoma city thunder staff. Everyone left with just not a word. It was very surreal again, that this crowd of 18,000 just walked out knowing, I think to themselves that this was serious. And I was then texted to get back to the locker room. I then was uh, escorted along with Big T, David Locke, and uh, Booner, Kristen, and our uh, production staff to a room separated from the uh, jazz locker room, and we were quarantined there. Didn't hear much for about a half an hour. Quinn came in, told us, yes, Rudy was positive, and he'd give us more information. And that's where we sat uh, for, the, for the next six to seven hours. And uh, to pull the dial ahead a little bit, finally around 12.30, 1 o'clock, we were tested. Around 2 o'clock, uh, buses came by, took us to a, uh, an outlying hotel outside Oklahoma City. And then thankfully, we had some uh, dedicated um, pilots from Delta and flight attendants who flew us back um, that following afternoon. Um, going back for a second, we found out that I, I found out about 8:45 in the morning a phone call that I was negative. It was a relief, let me say, uh, laying through the night from about four o'clock in the morning till 8:30. You know what's my situation? And so that wait period, uh, it was quicker than most, obviously, and I'm thankful for that. But thankful also that uh, we are all negative except Donovan. And that news came out a little bit later. And then we talked to some great officials from the Oklahoma Health Department. We were met in Utah by the, uh, by the Utah Health Department. We're given parameters of quarantine. And I follow those as closely as I possibly could. And I think, Greg, guys, I really thought in my mind, maybe just two weeks and it would be all be over. In reality, that's not the case. And here we are today, you know, three weeks later. And the situation is, uh, is, is at a critical level. And I'm just still trying to do what I'm supposed to do. And we're doing this. Uh, you know, it's smart. Everybody's uh, proximity rule and six feet and stay home, be safe. And that's I'm just trying to do that. Because what I would love to see, if we can, is to play again. I'd love to see college football. Greg, I know you do, right? We want to play. And I think the fans want us, obviously, to be, to be playing. But – only under the right under the only under the right circumstance can that happen, and I think each of us can help that uh, just to be safe and stay at home. Big picture perspective: um, What has the COVID crisis uh, reminded you about the role of sports in our society, our global society? Well, I tell you what, I, I really believe that is is a driving force for many. It's a it's, it's a deterrent from daily life. Uh, it's an entertainment. 
Uh, there's a passion and love. Uh, and I mean, you know it, I know it from our days and your days now at BYU, their, their passion is, is amazing. Uh, you know, my son went to Utah State and one son went to Utah and I was able to slide into some football games. I just love the, the atmosphere on a Saturday night or afternoon in stadiums. There's passion. Uh, it's an escape. But also we've been hit uh, square on the jaw with reality that that doesn't matter right now. And I think for me personally, as I said a couple of days ago, that sometimes I tire of the 82 game season. Uh, I'm sure Greg, you know, about November, you have to kind of test yourself again, right? I mean, all, all of us have that point where you just fatigue and travel uh, kind of come into play. I know you had a, what did you have a nine day span where you were doing hoop, football, volleyball, gymnastics, I think. What did you do, seven events in nine days? Something of that nature? Yeah, it was a soccer, football, basketball stretch, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, you know, that's like the tournament for me. I mean, come on, four games in one day, you know, during the NCAAs was just, uh, for me, the challenge of challenges. But on top of what you did was the travel and the preparation and the energy that you need. And so for me, you know, after about after game 60, you kind of hit a fence, hit a wall a bit. But during this time when the train stopped so suddenly and the train being the NBA, it just stopped. And I think as I reflect now, I, I still, at my age and through the years I've been at this, I still have the love for what I do. And that's what I've learned. And I think my wife um, and my son who are staying here, they probably tire of me because I'm built to work. I want to be busy. And so I know she's happy I'm in my office right now, right? It's, it's a break for her. And um, it's, it's very... Um, for me as well, I think uh, I, I, it's gotten to the point where I worry, I'm a bit scared, but I'm confident. It's all mixed into one. So I'm kind of a jumbled mess of emotion, but I always look back at what I do and I say, you know what? Sports is sports. This is life and this will pass. And hopefully all of us will come out of this better people. Maybe that's a little heavy philosophy, but that's my hope. I, that's well, what my hope is. Yeah, I think everybody... In, in terms of the sports coming back, certainly we all we're in this business because we love sports. I mean, right. that's, it's, it's not just part of, of, I mean, it's not just our jobs and our careers, but it's, it's, it's what we love. It's a passion of ours. And so we certainly want it to come back for those reasons. But we also know that if sports comes back, that means that some of the other things that we're dealing with have subsided and everything's kind of getting back to normal. So I think that that's why I think a lot of people are looking for kind of, they aren't looking at sports and we're, we're seeing this now in China where the United States is looking at China to see when they're going to bring back their basketball team. They've postponed right. it a little bit. Everybody's kind of waiting to see and, and sports is really taking on somewhat of a larger role. Yeah, it is. You know, there's China was the, the, you know, ground zero. So it spreads across the globe and we're just kind of catching up with everything and hopefully we'll hit that, the the peak and then we start to see the flatten out on the curve everybody speaks of uh, but again have to be careful to make sure that it's the right time and that we don't go back and let this this thing resurface again uh, because once you get people in crowded areas uh, obviously uh, there's more susceptibility but um, I just hope that it's soon uh, but also I hope that it's it's the right time and I know we have some incredible people that are 
making some very tough decisions for all of us. But I'm with you guys. Sports, we've all been around it our whole lives. And uh, it's trivial at some times, but also I do understand and I do believe it makes an impact on a lot of people's lives that it brings them joy, happiness, and anger all wrapped up into one because of, of fandomonium, you know, fanatics, fans, that's who they are. And that's who I am. That's who all of us are. And uh, hopefully sooner than later, we're back doing what we love. Well, Bowler, we appreciate you taking some time. We've kept you longer than, uh, than we told you we would. Uh, thank you so much for I doing this. Another it's great hour to I mean, I can hang out all day if you guys want to. I'm really just going to watch Andy Griffith for the ninth, ninth time over here on the TV. So, no, it's great talking to you both. And, you know, be safe. Uh, great continued success. You guys do a marvelous job. And, um, you know, again, I hope all BYU fans, Jazz fans, Aggies and Utes and uh, Wildcatters up in Weber, Weber State Country, everybody just stay safe, be smart. And uh, the other thing, too, is I've got elderly parents at 87 who moved here years ago. I just would say check on your friends, check on your folks, and check on grandpa and grandma, and just make sure they're good, too, because uh, they get lonely just like we do. That's right. Well, Craig, uh, Craig, I, I don't see you or talk to you a lot these days. We don't end up in the same venue all too frequently, but it's always great when I do cross your path. And um, you're somebody who was um, – so kind to me in the early stages of my career uh, as a young kid walking into broadcast house at KSL. I looked up to you then and still do now. And uh, just, a lot. Uh, th thank you for being who you are. And uh, it's been a pleasure uh, being with you, even though I'm not really with you, just being with yeah. you. Yeah, no, it's today. great seeing you. And I'll tell you, there's stories that Greg and I had. He was right across from me on the, uh, across the aisle uh, where my desk and his desk were. And, you know, we, we play like, you know, football, uh, we hit golf balls. I think we destroyed several, several dozen of blinds over in the sports department yeah. by errant uh, Nerf balls being tossed around the newsroom. So, uh, hey, listen, if KSL is listening, I, I don't take any responsibility financially for those blinds, but uh, you know, we have of limitations has passed. You're fine now, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think seven years is long gone. So I'm in the clear. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate it. And uh, we certainly hope to, to see you back calling some jazz games because, hey, with Donovan, Rudy, that team, some special things were going to happen. We'd love to see him back on the on the. Yeah, court. yeah. I want to see Joe do a couple of snarls and get into some guys' uh, heads a little bit, too, on the floor and uh, see Jordan Clarkson continue to, to run around the floor and uh, be a dynamic player off the bench. Uh, hopefully that comes sooner than later. And guys, thanks. You guys gave me a good a good uh, forty five minutes of therapy, which I need. And I uh, hope I see you both soon. Thank you again. Absolutely. Thanks, Baller. Stay well. Appreciate it.